We're going to be in Psalm 72 today, and as you've seen the theme in our music this morning, we are focusing on the coming reign of Jesus Christ. Um, this psalm is uh, written by Solomon and has a very clear messianic mas- message about uh, Christ in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before the star shone over Bethlehem, the kings and the prophets were writing about the future king and how he would establish his kingdom here forever on earth. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, uh, please feel to, to go get one. If you don't have a Bible, you can also keep that, and that is our gift to you. So give you a second to do that. And as I said, we are going to be in Psalm 72 today. So we are going to read that part as our scripture reading today. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound, till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring him gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like grass in the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him All nations call him blessed. Verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Today, our topic is part three of our Advent series in the book of Psalms. In the last two weeks, we have concentrated on uh, Psalms 25 and Psalms 40. In Psalm 25, God's people, Israel, are called to wait for the future Messiah. The Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would be coming from the lineage of David and as promised in God's covenant with Abraham. In this psalm, David is asking God to lead him in all truth and to wait for the God of his salvation. Last week... In Psalm 40, Israel is called to trust in God. 
We also are called to trust in God's promises and his specific promise of the coming Messiah. David in Psalm 40 describes his trials and his failings, and there were a lot of those. He also praises God for rescuing him from the pit of destruction and setting his trust in God. David consistently returned to God and turned from his sinful actions. True repentance. Today, we will study Psalm 72 and find the messianic message about Jesus Christ as the reigning king. But before I jump into today's outline, we need to look at the text and discover what we're actually reading in order that we can understand better what we're, what we're looking at. Who wrote it? Why they wrote it? And what the message is? The Psalms are a really huge book in the Bible. It's a collection of songs and prayers written by David, Solomon, Moses, some musical leaders by the name of Asaph, the sons of Korah, and other spiritual leaders in Israel. Psalm 72 is the last chapter in the second book of Psalms. In all, there are 150 chapters, and there are five recognized books or divisions within the book of Psalms, and that's what we have today. Most Psalms, um, as we read, are, uh, there's a note for the name of the author. In the original language, uh, it would be read of the author, by the author, uh, of David, or by David. Uh, chapter 72 is titled, A Psalm of Solomon. So a straightforward look at that. Looks like Solomon wrote it. But there's kind of a theological issue there of who the king is referred to in the text. This chapter could be David, who's at the end of his life, praying for Solomon's reign, his son to become king. Or Solomon praying to God for his own reign. It could also be Solomon praying for his son's reign because all kings and sons, that's how the kingship was passed down. As verse 20 says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. David was at the end of his life, so there is a strong possibility that this, this prayer was uttered by David, later remembered by Solomon, and then Solomon crafted that into what we see now as Psalm 72. But in any case, no matter who was writing it about which king, there's one thing that is very clear. There is no earthly king that could ever match the expectations and the aspirations for this king in Psalm 72. This king will have universal rule, command over his enemies, and a kingdom rule that will last forever for all generations. So... <laughs> okay, what do I got here? I got it? There we go. Thank you. So our outline today is chapter 72. We're going to look at Jesus, a righteous king. Jesus, a reigning king. Jesus, a rescuing king. Jesus, a respected king. And I could not come up with another R word. So there is a, <laughs> there is a final blessing in chapters 18 and 20. Uh, even my wife, who typed uh, my, my script this morning, um, said, the last two verses are different. I'm like, exactly, they are different. So we're, we're going to, she noticed that, and so are you today. So um, don't worry about the five points. This, our time's going to fly by here this morning as we get into this uh, text and learn about Solomon and about King Jesus. So 
Psalm 72, first four verses. This chapter opens up with a request for justice from God. The writer's asking, um, the writer's asking God to bless the king with his righteousness so that he could judge the people correctly and treat the poor with godly justice. In the Old Testament scripture, uh, governmental leaders uh, were looked for in their righteousness, righteousness first, and then later their compassion for the people. God's rules were to be strictly obeyed in the Old Testament. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Strong Suggestions. By definition, uh, righteousness means a quality of being morally right, a life leading that was pleasing to God. All human kings will eventually lose their righteous pathway. No earthly king can maintain this. If you turn on the TV today, CNN or Fox News, whichever channel you like, you can see leader after leader bite the dust. Moral failings, scandals, criminal activity. All of these people came into their authority on good standing. And somehow towards the end, power corrupted and they ended the way they did. But look at Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man on earth at the time. Yet, he found a way clear to have 700 wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women in all. I don't have to say any more. There was problems. For this reason, only Jesus could be a righteous king that could fairly balance the judgment to the people and yet have compassion for the poor. Only Jesus could maintain his righteousness indefinitely without the fear of falling into temptation In Jesus' own words in Luke, he says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus had a special place in his heart for the poor and for the needy. And he wanted them to know for certain that they too would be welcome in his kingdom. In the ancient days, the commoners, or the poor, were not permitted to associate with wealthy or, or royalty. They, that was just not something that happened, ever. Jesus wants the people of Israel and future generations to know that this kind of separation would not, would not occur in his kingdom. In verse 4, he says, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. There's a lot going on in that verse. I can't think of any human king, president, dictator, leader, or prime minister that could meet the standard of being equally a mighty warrior and a compassionate caretaker of the people and also a fair and righteous judge over his nation. That is just not humanly possible. In fact, it is completely impossible. Verse 4 points directly to the only one capable of this type of kingdom rule, and that would be the Messiah. There we go. Verse 5 sees the writer predicting the righteous king and his kingdom lasting throughout all generations. His kingdom would span multiple lifetimes, multiple generations. Verses 6 and 7 continue and say, 
that he tells us that his rule would bless and feed his people like the rain on cut grass and then showers upon the ground. Verse 7 shows that his righteousness will flourish and peace will be abundant and eternal. Eternal peace. Now that is something that we've tried for a long time to achieve. How many presidents have traveled to the Middle East to solve the Mideast peace crisis? Total failure. What human government is capable of eternal peace? Exactly none. Only Christ could rule the world in perfect peace forever. And that brings us to the next, I think I double tapped that. No. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. There we go. Jesus as a reigning king in verses 8 through 11. In this section, the writer expounds the earthly dimensions of Christ's kingdom and also the enduring eternal nature of his kingdom to come. In verse 8, he says that he, the king, will have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In ancient times, all travel was local, usually by foot or by donkey. In the country of Israel, it's a small place, smaller than the state of New Jersey. There were no high-speed camel trains or cruise ships off to be able to get off to far-off lands. The people reading this in, 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 the, in the era would have known that sea to sea probably meant the Mediterranean, which was the entire border of Israel to the east. And then to the west, the other sea would have been the Red Sea, to the south of Israel, right at the border of Egypt. And this defined their land. This defined where, where they, this is what they knew. But he goes further than that and says the river, the river referred to would have been the Euphrates or the, or the mighty uh, Euphrates. That was a river to the west, somewhere, you know, a couple hundred miles away. And then beyond that, well, they didn't know anything beyond that because nobody went beyond that. There was unknown lands. They refer to that as the end of the earth. So what the writer is referring to is a very small piece of property, yet uh, the writer is saying that Christ's kingdom will expand beyond the known territories that we know to the ends of the earth. This was beyond their knowledge at the time, but they had faith to believe that that was going to happen. Verse 9 describes the king's rule over his enemies. Desert tribes bow down, and enemies lick the dust. These are strong word images of a, king's, of a king that evokes submission from his enemies. They don't look to wage war or retaliate. There is no need for battle. They know the king is strong, and they cannot challenge him. Verse 10. Verse 10 takes his reign a step further. Beyond the king's unquestioned power, earthly kings will bring him tribute. This was a custom of ancient times, Submissive kings would send great treasures from their kingdom to impress the strong king and uh, curry his favor. Verse 10 says the kings of Tarshish, which is present-day Spain, and the kings of Sheba and Seba, present-day Ethiopia, would bring him gifts. Apparently back in those days, Ethiopia was much better financially than it is today. We don't understand Ethiopia that way, but apparently back in those days, Ethiopia had gold to bring. In 1 Kings 10.10, the queen of Sheba traveled to Israel to pay tribute to Solomon. She gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices, precious stones, 
Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So, as a fact, these talents, one talent was 75 pounds, 75 pounds of anything. So, 75 pounds of gold. If you do the math, 120 talents would equal 9,000 pounds of gold. It's like four cars rolling up made of solid gold. That's what she brought beyond that spices, which were in those days regarded as highly valuable, and then jewels and gems and everything else. But she wasn't the only visitor to Solomon's kingdom. In total, there were many kings that came along, and in total, Solomon received 666 talents of gold alone, which when you again do the math, that's 50,000 pounds of gold, and he turned those into army gear, chariots, swords, uh, shields, uh, breastplates. Um, these guys were, were well healed for battle uh, from all that gold. In America, we don't have kings and queens. We don't really understand the concept of kingly royalty or all that it entails. But there are modern countries today that still are run by kings and, and have these type of kingdoms. Uh, in 1991, uh, I was a young business guy, and I, was, I traveled to the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East. This was right after the Gulf War, and we were doing a trade show there for aviation business. All the exhibitors uh, that were at that show were called and sent an invitation for a dinner that was going to be put on by the uh, aviation minister, who was also one of the royal family of Saudi Arabia. His name was the Prince Rashid Mohammed Al bin Saud. And yes, we were intimidated. And yes, we also went. Um, there's only one really way that I could f describe what we saw. If you could imagine a dinner put on by all the Iron Chefs, you know, the guys on Food Network, yeah, those guys. The dinner setting would be the Rose Bowl Stadium, and the entertainment would have been put on by the Disney Corporation. It was mind-blowing. There were rock bands, magicians on stage, uh, brass symphonies, other cultural entertainment. The opulence and the extreme cost of the event were staggering. The only thing we could talk about was, how much do you think this cost? Um, we were in the desert, and the first thing we did when we got out of the car, there was grass. Well, the, the king, he, he has grass. Nobody else does. Um, there was no plastic or paper plates. It was porcelain, stemware, linen, and real wooden tables for 500 people in the middle of the desert. So this is something, again, we, it, it's just, it's beyond imagination. We all didn't take our cameras because we didn't want to be tourists. I really wish I'd taken my camera. Um, but even as big as this was, it, it really, I have to believe, would pale in comparison to back in the day when King David or King Solomon or his son put on a royal feast or put on a holiday celebration and then just opened the kingdom coffers to lay out a huge spread for his people. Our concept of that, I, I, don't, I don't think we could relate to. Verse 11, Solomon writes that all the kings should fall down before him and all nations serve him. All is a strong word and a definitive word. All means all. No earthly king can, tr can control all of his kingdom. The Roman Empire tried its best to do that. It was one of the greatest empires of all time. 
The kingdom extended from Great Britain in northern Europe to Germany, over to the Mediterranean, and then down into northern Africa. Yet, all the Caesars were consumed with battling the fringes of the empire, maintaining the walls, maintaining their control. The, the Gauls and the Huns constantly waged war at the fringes of the empire to try and reduce the, the control, to, to take their land back. And, and there was never peace in Rome. Solomon's prayer is that this coming king will reign supreme without ongoing warfare, no more strife. The strength of this king would bring, peace, would bring peace to earth from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. In the gospel books, the angel of the Lord visits Mary and tells her about Jesus and his kingdom to come. In Luke one thirty three. We read, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The hymn writer Isaac Watts in 1719 penned the hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. He took his inspiration for this hymn directly from Psalm 72, and specifically verse 5. Verse 5 said, May they fear you, while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. And his first stanza uh, sings, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Isaac Watts wrote over 500 hymns, mostly to go along with his sermons on Sunday. This hymn has been sung for hundreds of years and has brought hope and joy to Christians over over the centuries. Jesus Christ is our reigning king today, and he'll return to set up his earthly kingdom. That kingdom will stretch to the ends of the earth, and all will bow to its dominion. This is confirmed by Paul in the book of Romans. Paul writes in Romans 14.11, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. It's reassuring to know this, that sin and evil, what we see in the world every day, will meet its end. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess the name of Jesus. So who reigns in your life? We all must submit to somebody. We all recognize some authority over us. Everybody must serve or yield to someone. A parent, a boss, a president, a God, little g, of this world, or the God, big G, of all creation. We all must decide who is reigning in our lives and who we will follow. Matthew writes in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So there's a choice. We have a choice. I suggest that we follow King Jesus, the King of Kings. He has a heart to care for your daily needs and the power and authority to provide a kingdom that will last forever. Our point three today, Jesus is a rescuing king. In verse 12 
through 14. These build on verse 4, where Solomon extols the king's defense of the poor and the deliverance of the needy. Verse 12 says that he will deliver the needy and the poor when he calls, and him that has no helper. This ultimate king really cares for individuals, not just the kingdom. And he also has the ability to hear their call. I doubt many poor Israelites were ushered into Solomon's gates and his mansion to tell them their daily troubles. This description in true effect could only be a divine king. This king could hear the prayers of the people. Only a divine king could know who has no helper and who simply needed some extra food or assistance that day. In these verses, we see Solomon define the compassion of Jesus' heart for his people. He cares for our daily lives. He really wants to know what we need. Verse 14 highlights Jesus as our rescuing king. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. Our lives, our blood is precious in his sight. Jesus is not only the ultimate king, but he's also a redeemer. In Isaiah 49, 26, Isaiah writes, Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This prophecy makes clear what this king is to be. He is to be a Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob coming through that, that royal lineage. This prophecy makes it very clear that the rescuing king will be known to all men in the future and that he will be the Redeemer. So what does that mean to us today? these old prophecies. Do you feel lost? Trapped in a bad situation? Caught, caught in an endless cycle of health issues or financial problems? Jesus is a rescuing king. We don't have to wait for the coming kingdom, as foretold here. Jesus is a rescuing king today. As Christians, we have direct access to his kingly courts. When we pray to Jesus in his name, he intercedes for us and takes our prayers and petitions to the Father. In 1 Timothy 2.5, the writer confirms this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Let that sink in. Oops, sorry. Double tap. Now I lost it. We're good. There we go. So what have we learned about this coming king today? Is he, we've learned that he's a righteous king, a reigning king, a rescuing king, and now that we see that now we see that he is a rescuing king, or sorry, a respected king. Verse 15 and verse 17 highlight this. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings involved, invoked for him all the day. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Solomon's praying for the long life of the king and that the proper tribute be given to him. He also calls for the people to pray for him continually and to utter blessings all the day long. 
That's such a strong request. Imagine if someone you knew asked you to do something for a leader in your life, a boss or a president. Pray for them every day, continually. Utter blessings all the day long. Would you want to do that? Chances are, maybe not. We truly have to honor and respect someone to to feel that in our heart, to offer them our prayers for their existence, for their being, for their authority, and and to offer them daily blessings. When thinking in human terms, I'm kind of at a loss to think of anybody that would really deserve that because we know everyone fails. All humans have sin in their heart. Only, only a divine king could be worthy of that uh, respect and that type of treatment. Verse 17 sees the writer calling for the king's name to endure forever and his fame to continue like the sun. He also predicts all nations call him blessed. This again points to a supreme king that will endure forever and that all nations would know him and offer their blessings. No earthly king could meet those expectations. Going back to verse 16, it speaks to the abundance that is expected during the reign of the king. Solomon prays for the abundance of food in the land, that the mountains would be filled with prosperous crops, that the fruit would be abundant like those found in Lebanon. Lebanon is a kind of a famous place for its growing ability in the region. Uh, Lebanon had fruits like figs, dates, and other types of really healthy fruit crops. In ancient days, these types of crops were a life support system for a successful kingdom. In times of famine or hardship, kingdoms with available food reigned supreme. They were all-powerful. Like the story of Joseph when he predicts the coming famine in Egypt and Israel, he stored seven years of food grain ahead of time. He convinced the pharaohs to do that. During the famine, all nations yielded to Egypt and had to beg for food. In fact, Joseph's family had to travel to Egypt to plead to Pharaoh for food. Instead, they had to deal with Joseph, whom through a long set of life circumstances, God had placed as number two man in all of Egypt. Joseph's sufferings had resulted in his ability to save his family and show a level of forgiveness that only God could provide. In the end, God received the glory and the honor and the blessings for those things that were born out of tragedy, injustice, and famine. Solomon Solomon has made it very clear that Jesus is due all of this respect and tribute. So how would you rate your reverence for him? What can you offer as tribute? What are the things that are valuable in your life? You probably don't have 120 talents of gold sitting around. But, Your time, your service, your priorities, your heart. Jesus is the reigning king and his reign will continue forever. Just like the kings of old, we should be also looking to provide our tribute and our reverence to him. The last couple chapters of the book are different. The focus shifts from the king to a final blessing. In chapter 72, the last chapter of the book, of the second book of Psalms, David is near the end of his life. It was a long life, full of hardship, battle, strife, contention, and he had his share of moral failings. Through it all, David followed God intensely, and when he was confronted by his sin, David chose repentance. 
He didn't run away from God. He ran to God. For this constant reaction to his sin, God labeled David a man after his own heart. In Acts 13.22, Paul writes about this, about David. And when he, God, had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. There is absolutely nothing better that could be said about a man other than their heart would be similar to God's. Verse 18 reads, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Verses 18 and 19 are a doxology, a a final ending and blessing to the second book of Psalms. These verses call for the people to offer their blessings to God and recognize his mighty acts. Israel had experienced God on a daily basis in a very personal way, uh, physically close. God had presented himself to Israel in the cloud by day and and the pillar of fire by night. He also had his presence in the temple. Then there was the burning bush, and God walked right by Moses. They knew that God had created their nation and had given them a kingdom. Now Solomon is looking forward in the future to the final kingdom where Jesus, the Messiah, will will rule the entire earth. Verse 19 reads, Blessed is his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This prayer is looking forward to a universal kingdom. Solomon is calling for the whole earth to be filled with his glory. The prophet Isaiah, in, the vision, in his vision of the Lord, describes in detail what he saw when God gave him a glimpse. Isaiah 6.1 reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then in verse 3, Isaiah continues, And one seraphim called to the other one and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These visions are hard to to comprehend in our own head. And the closest earthly thing that I can think of is if, if you've ever been driving down the highway or out on your front lawn and huge white puffy clouds and the sun is in the, in behind them shining through and there's that golden rim to the clouds as, as the sun is behind it and then the multiple sunbeams come down through and you know, touch the ground. It's about the only thing that I can really relate to that would be a vision of what heaven might look like. And while that is a magnificent display in nature, I don't think it, it comes anywhere close to the glory of, of, of God and, and what that would actually visually look like. Solomon is praying for, his, for this king and his kingdom to be established. His prayer encourages us to do the same. We too should be looking forward to Christ's return and his own blessings uh, ready daily for the coming king. So this, in this Advent season, we have looked into the Psalms and this week in Psalm 72, we've discovered the prophetic description of Christ as the ultimate king, the supreme king. His reign described in detail and how he expects to rule over the earth. This was the promise of the Old Testament, then confirmed in the Gospels, as we see Jesus come to earth as a baby in a humble manger to two unknown young people. This is a story that only God could create 
full of miracles and fulfilling all the prophecies that were foretold centuries ago. So just as the band comes up, I want to talk about what we see in Luke. The Gospel writer Luke in chapter 1, 30 to 33 declares, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. These four verses mirror exactly Psalms or Psalm 72, what, what Solomon wrote there. The angel confirms to Mary and to us that Jesus will inherit the throne that in, from David's lineage and that his reign will be forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. What greater gift can we receive this season? A savior? A compassionate king? A protector king? A king whose reign will never end? The gospel, sto- the gospel story was foretold in the Psalms and has come to life in Bethlehem. This Christmas, while you're busy with gift buying and parties and rushing around, take time to see Jesus as your reigning king. Let the hope and security of his guaranteed reign fill your heart. From my younger days, my pastor from my old church, he had a saying. He would tell people, I've read the last chapter of the holy book, and we win. That's the hope that we have. As, we, as believers in Jesus, we're going to win. Our sin is forgiven, and we will live with him forever, no matter what happens on this earth. I trust that you have that hope today, and if not, you can. The pastors are here and we're ready to talk to you after the service, don't wait another year. Have that hope, that hope that you can take with you, that stays with you every day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words that you give us and the hope and the security that it, that it provides. We're thankful for the prophets of old who were faithful to, to trust you, to, to see... Uh, but the wisdom that you would give to them. We're thankful for Solomon, his words, the, the, the wisdom that he has provided to us that we see now uh, being your presence being foretold in the past. We just thank you for this time. We're thankful that, uh, that your word is made true in our hearts and that we can celebrate this every day of the year. Be with us now as we continue in worship and pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.